Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. I am your host, Jovica Djurjevic, and today I've got the pleasure of uh, interviewing Stephen Richards, owner of Richards Bespoke. Um, Stephen, give a give yourself a brief introduction. Hey, uh, thank you again for having me. Um, Stephen Richards Jr., uh, Richards Bespoke, uh, born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee, and founded my company about two and a half years ago. Awesome, awesome, man. We actually got connected to a mu- through a mutual friend. I, my buddy... He's being mentored by your dad throughout the years, and he told me I should reach out to you. And I checked out your Instagram and just your social media presence, and I was I was actually quite impressed. So I reached out. I think your story is actually more impressive than than anything you've done now, just knowing where you came from and, and the background of getting your company started as a young millennial. So uh, tell us a little bit how you went from selling for your dad's company to starting a custom clothier. Uh, yeah. So back in 2013, I graduated college, uh, moved back to Nashville. Uh, my dad's had a company here in town uh, since the late 80s, Richards & Richards Office Records Management. Uh, it's a big family company. My whole family pretty much works there. Um, my dad, he did everything right in terms of, uh, he said, if you graduate from college, four-year degree, uh, work prior in the company, um, and you're in a revenue-generating uh, role for the company, then you can always have a job. Um, so all growing up, I've worked in the warehouse, um, stacking boxes, uh, pretty much every job I could, um, until I graduated college. And I always thought, you know, after graduating college, I'd come back and, and work for the company as I did. Um, but I worked there for about two and a half years and it was literally day one that I walked in. I, uh, mentored under my brother, shadowed him and followed him around for the first couple months. Um, he was in charge of sales at the time and, it really was the very first day that I kind of just, it was this pit in my stomach where I felt this is not what I want to do. This is not what I'm meant to do. Um, but again, worked there for about two and a half years. I was in sales. Uh, I met and exceeded sales goals every year. It's not that I wasn't, you know, doing well in the company. Um, but I, at, at the end of the day, it's, I, you know, I didn't appreciate it. It was like my last name was Richards and I felt like that was the only reason I was selling. Um, so my dad and I, after, many different conversations kind of came to a, an agreement that I would step away from the company and kind of pursue whatever my passion was. And a lot of people would probably say I'm uh, pretty dumb for leaving a company and literally not knowing uh, what I wanted to do next. But I just knew it was not what I was doing and it was keeping me from discovering whatever it was I wanted to do. So this is not common. And, and if anybody's ever experienced this, they probably had a different experience, but it only took me two days to, to realize what it is or what it was that I wanted to do uh, something to start. You know, I've, I've never wanted to work for somebody else, but um, when I was working for my dad, we had to wear a suit and tie every day to work. Um, I did what everybody else does right out of college. When you have no money, you do go to Joseph A. Bank, buy one, get three free suits. Um, wore those for about a year, wore them out. Uh, so I had to buy four new suits. And then once I realized that none of them fit, I had to get alterations made, uh, doubled the price of the suit and it still didn't quite fit right. And, uh, at that point I ended up discovering the world of custom. One of my best friends, his brother worked for a local company here in town and, uh, it's actually a nationwide company, but here in Nashville and, and bought a custom suit, uh, was measured, picked out the fabric, the lining, the buttons, uh, and I kind of became obsessed with the process. And uh, it was two days after I had left my dad's company uh, and I actually drove down to South Georgia uh, to meet with a family friend that we go hunting with every year. And basically it was, it was leaning towards him for guidance and leadership. And, you know, my dad, 
he wasn't crazy about me leaving the company and, you know, he's always been my mentor and my, the leader in my life, but this was something I kind of had to seek somebody that was unbiased about it. Um, talked to him, hung out with him for a few days on my drive back to Nashville, two days after I left uh, the company, it clicked with me because I asked myself, what is the one thing that you can do in your life that you know, you can do it better than anybody else. And it just popped up in my mind and it was the way that I dress, the way that uh, I appreciate fashion and, and am knowledgeable about the industry and something that I would enjoy actually doing every day. Um, so as soon as I got back to Nashville, I started doing as much research as possible uh, about how to get in the industry. Uh, originally, I wanted to get into retail as well. And I realized that that was a uh, very slowly um, dying industry in terms of you know online shopping has kind of become a little bit more prominent. But um, custom suiting was my first and foremost, uh, the, the industry that I wanted to enter into. So started doing research, um, ended up, was introduced from a, a friend of a friend, uh, a guy down in Atlanta, Georgia, that does what I do, um, started his own custom clothing company. So I went down, met with him. Uh, he mentored me for about the six, first six months and then uh, kind of spread apart and, and started doing my own thing, found my own manufacturer and uh, again, it's been going on for about two and a half, almost three years now um, of being in the industry and I haven't looked back yet. That's a really interesting story because you mentioned something day one, you knew you weren't going to stay with your dad's company and you, you did this soul searching and that must've been an interesting juxtaposition just in your life because you see your dad as, as you mentioned, as this leader and mentor figure in your life, yet you're choosing to basically break off from him from day one. What you know, when you say day one, you knew, why do you think you knew that? It was, it's not necessarily that I knew it was more of that. Something just didn't feel right. Hmm. It, it was this weird feeling in my stomach that, you know, it's like you, you, you started doing something that you weren't supposed to, uh, in terms of like getting in trouble, you knew something was off. You don't know exactly what it was, but, um, it really was day one. I remember like it was yesterday sitting in my brother's office and he's, He's excited that I'm now in the, the business. Uh, I was the, the second child for my dad to come in and start working. So my brother finally had one of his siblings there and was excited. And um, I just remember he was sitting there telling me about our schedule for that week. And, you know, he's very passionate about the industry and he has, he's done a lot for that company. And, and I just kind of knew that it, it wasn't, I didn't share that same passion. And I thought yeah. over time I would develop it. And you know, there's a lot of news articles, Nashville Business Journal, other publications that came out about how I had come to work for my dad's company, then my sister and the whole family was there. And it just kind of came to a point where I was only working there because my last name was Richards. Hmm. Uh, if this was any other job, I would have quit after the, probably the first week. Um, but I knew that it was my, my namesake and my heritage. And, you know, I thought I'd continue on with it. But over time, it, it affected my relationship with my family, uh, even with some of my friends and was just leading me down a path that I knew I shouldn't be going down. And at the end, I was doing a disservice to my dad and to my brother and the rest of my family because, you know, I'd, I'd go in and I'd sell and I'd meet my sales goal for the week, the month, the year, whenever it was. And I would just go home. I'd go play golf. I'd go do anything else but try to build the business. Um, and I could have put a lot more effort into it, but it was just to the point where I didn't want to. Yeah. Um, it's not something that I wanted to grow. Uh, and I, that's what I tell people is that, you know, if you're not all in, then you're doing them a disservice. And that's basically what I was doing, whether it was family or not. So that was kind of my tipping point. Interesting. So 
how was that conversation with your dad where you have this figure that you look up to so much who you believe in and trust and and you're wanting to tell him, hey, this isn't for me, especially with the societal pressure, you know, down south in Nashville, known family, and you want to leave. Uh, it wasn't the, the best conversation, um, which ended in we didn't talk for a little while. Um, he's always been my number one supporter. Um, literally everything in my life that I've ever gone through, I've gone to him first. Uh, yeah. he's, he's he is my best friend. Uh, but when we first had this kind of separation, I think he, I don't think he doubted that I would be successful in anything I did. I think that he had that, um, he had that confidence in me, but it kind of hurt him because his goal in life when he started this company was to pass it on to his kids and for his kids to pass it on to their kids. And that was going to be his legacy that he left behind. Um, and I think it took him a little while to realize that just because you build something doesn't necessarily mean that that's for the next generation. Yeah. Uh, my brother, again, I mean, he's he's taken it by the horns and, and has done nothing but grown the business since he started. And that's because he's passionate about it. He works late. He loves, you know, finding new and innovative ways to roll out new services or to, you know, redo things. And it's just for me, I I, I never had that. And uh, I think it, it took about it was a couple months. And I don't remember exactly when it was that he finally started coming around. But uh, as soon as he did, it was it was kind of a game changer for me because then I had that, that asset, that resource, that, that person that I could finally go to that, Hey, what did you do for this? When you started your company, it might've been 30 years ago, but you know, just kind of give me some direction. Hmm. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking about if I was a father and, and if my son didn't want to take over my business, I mean, it would have hurt. It's, yeah. you know, it's not a passion that you both share. And, uh, in the back of my dad's mind, ever since day one that he started this, it was for us. It wasn't for him. Um, he'll tell you that himself is that he was building it for his kids. Uh, we didn't have a, a comfortable life growing up in terms of everything was handed to us. We always had to work for whatever it was, whether it be an allowance, um, chores, that type of thing. But, uh, it's just, uh, you know, I don't have kids, but again, I, I could, I could relate to where he was coming from and, and was very empathetic to, you know, the approach that he took to kind of let me know that, he was kind of upset and yeah. I don't blame him, but you know, now that's all in the past and, and completely put behind us and, and he's done nothing but uh, try to help me grow since, since he came around. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and when you, when you talk about that father's pride and, and building a business for the future and you having built a business at this point, you know, let's talk about the transition from you working for your dad to building, like I said, a custom clothier company. What, Talk to me about those first six months. What happened? What did you do? How, how did you hustle? How hard did you grind? Uh, the first six months, and I mean, one of the nicest, and I'm very blessed for this, first three months that I left my dad, um, he kind of had a severance package so I could not have to worry about my mortgage, about my groceries, about you know little things. Fundamentals. Exactly. So I, I spent the first three months uh, really in the planning stages. Um, I did as much research as Google would probably let me uh, to figure out how to, to get into this industry or uh, just learning about different types of fabric and, and um, anything to revolve around men's fashion. And I'd say it was May of 2016 that I left my dad's company. It was August of 2016 that really kind of launched uh, my company. And actually, I started the company with a best friend. Um, 
we grew up together, going to church together since we were like seven, went to middle school, high school together, college together. Long-standing relationship. Yeah. And uh, he had actually worked for a company that did custom clothing uh, prior to us starting this. And so that was really my in, um, in terms of had somebody to kind of go off of, of what he did for the previous company. And um, after about almost three months of working together, he realized that it wasn't his passion. Uh, he wanted to grow a personal training business and that's what he is passionate about. As much as I'm passionate about custom clothing or fashion in general, I believe he's more passionate about personal training and uh, dieting and that sort of thing. So he ended up uh, breaking apart, which was kind of hard in the beginning uh, because it was just me at that point. Uh, it was pretty scary. Um, I'd say the first real six months of, of working on my own, um, I was kind of like a hermit. I never, I never came out of my condo except to, to go on appointments. I, I realized the word, what the word budget actually meant um, because I was used to spending the type of money that I was spending when I was working for my dad and had a comfortable salary and, you know, everything was paid for in terms of networking and expenses. and Exactly. And so I uh, didn't really go into debt um, or at least not as much debt as one would consider debt, but I realized real quickly that I needed to start watching what I was spending, how I was spending, uh, and when I was spending and ended up made myself a budget. I lived off of $35 a week for food, um, which a lot of ramen. Yeah. Well, actually it was, it was no ramen and I'd probably save a lot of money if I had ramen. Um, but ended up, I wasn't making any money the first couple months. I'd have a sale a week and that was a great week. Um, and really I needed about five a week just to survive. And so, uh, I, I swallowed my pride. I, I, I didn't want to have other jobs. I didn't want to work for somebody else. I didn't want to work part-time and ended up getting a part-time job uh, at a store around the corner from my condo. Um, uh, it ended up wasn't making any money still. So I ended up applying for Uber and drove for Uber for about a little bit more than a year. And uh, I was I was kind of embarrassed to have to drive Uber um, because you know, I've, I grew up in this comfortable home and my dad has this big business and, you know, I'm stepping away and not like I was trying to prove myself. I just wanted to follow my passion, but you know, I was afraid of what other people were going to think about me if they found out I was driving Uber, you know, potentially thinking, oh, this business obviously isn't doing well. He's having to get another job. Yeah. Uh, And then I realized Uber to this day is, and people say, what's the, you know, the biggest asset, what's the thing that helped you the most along the beginning of your journey? And I tell them Uber because I couldn't, you know, when I was working part-time jobs, I was on somebody else's clock. I was on their schedule. And if I had a client that said, hey, I need to meet Wednesday at four and I was going into work for another job, I couldn't do that. And I potentially would lose a client. So Uber, I could turn on and off when I wanted to. Um, first six months of really starting this, it was uh, every morning, wake up at 5 a.m., would drive till about 8 a.m., then would either have appointments or do some admin work during the day. Sometimes I'd drive Uber if I had a long block uh, in between appointments. I'd have I'd be dressed in a suit. I'd have my hanging bags in the back. Um, would try to market to people that rode around in Uber. Um, and then after I'd be done for the day, I'd I'd end up uh, driving from about mm, six thirty seven after I ate dinner until about uh, midnight, and then would wake up do it again. And I got to the point where. I hated doing that. You know, I, I didn't want to have to work these days where I'm, I'm literally working probably about 18 to 19 hours a day. Um, and really that was the best thing I could have done because I, I look back on how I was approaching, uh, Richard's bespoke and, and 
building the business and, and found new and innovative ways to start finding more and more clients and, and working harder to the point where I didn't have to have supplemental income. Yeah. Um, but it, it took a while. And, you know, when people talk about starting a business, anybody that ever has, I don't care if it's a lemonade stand or a fortune 500 company, it's, um, it's hard. It's, it's incredibly hard and it's incredibly time consuming. And, you know, you can never grow something on the side. And that's what I've told people. You have to, you have to really go all in unless it's something that actually allows you to do it on your own time, which anything with customer service is not. Yeah. Um, so that's something I realized real quickly. Well, and I can just say that people can't see this, but looking at your store that we're in right now recording, you know, never in a million years would I imagine you driving Uber while you have this. And, and I like what you said about swallowing your pride and, and just, seeing the opportunity and how much it could help you grow your business with the flexibility. Elaborate a little bit more on that, just from an emotional standpoint. What, what is it like at that point to try to get in front of people who've got the money to get a custom suit while at the same time driving somebody to the airport? I, I actually, I had a few clients come from Uber. Really? Um, I did. And not enough to it where it really made it worth it in terms of, uh, it's not like I would continue to do it. Yeah. Um, but most of the people I drove around were tourists, uh, yeah. bachelor and bachelorette parties to, uh, to be uh, probably made up the 90% of it. But uh, the people that would, they would kind of notice, um, I don't drive a particularly nice car, but it was a, it was a Tahoe. It was a, uh, like the last model Tahoe. And I would always be wearing a suit, whether it just be slacks and a button down and a tie or just, you know, maybe a vest or I'd never wear my jacket in the car because that's what I preach always for. But um, people would kind of ask like, why are you dressed up? What are you doing? And I'd mention what I was doing and they're like, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to follow you on Instagram because one day you're going to be huge. And I can say that you drove me around an Uber. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, actually that's, that's do that. <laughs> and lo and behold, it happened. Yeah. And, uh, I had a lot of, I had a lot of people start following me because of, uh, Uber, but, um, I don't know it in the time that it was happening, it was one of those, like, it was very emotional because, I'd, I'd be working so hard to build Richard's bespoke and then I have to go out and drive just to make money to get groceries. Yeah. Um, it's an oxymoron. Yeah. And it's, uh, luckily I, I started building the business and didn't have to, but, and then I said, you know, I'm not still too prideful to drive Uber. I'm in the space that I'm in. I've been able to afford this and, and other things and grow the business. But that was one of the biggest things I learned that Uber taught me was to swallow my pride. You know, you can't care about what other people think. Um, I used to care how many likes I was going to get on my next picture on Instagram. And so I wouldn't post something if I didn't think it would get the likes. Um, or the fact that I have to have my picture taken. I do photo shoots every week and I have my picture taken. And I look like an absolute idiot walking around Nashville getting these photos taken. But, you know, it's it's all about building your brand. And, and you just you really can't care about what other people think. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's a good lesson that young men in particular. I mean, how old are you? 28. 28. Okay. So you're right in the perfect demographic of who this podcast appeals to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can't worry about what other people are thinking when you're following your dream. You can worry about what other people are thinking when you're in corporate America on the grind and you're doing something you don't like. Or even if you're in corporate America and you're doing something that you do like and you're trying to get up that next step on the ladder, you, you still have to fight for what you think you um, can generate, create, and deserve at the end of the day. You know, and, and, Talk a little bit more about this. You know, you've created a brand. You've, you're well-known. Um, you've got this company. You've used Instagram and social media really effectively. I mean, talk to the young entrepreneurs out there who are trying to create that brand. What, what advice would you give them there? 
Uh, yeah. And I would, I would say Instagram has definitely been my biggest asset, um, for getting my name out there. Um, I've spent a lot of time and money and money more so in replacement of time. Um, I've, I've done my Instagram from the beginning myself. I haven't outsourced it, but, uh, a lot of people will tell me that, you know, I've got a pretty good following now, but even in the beginning, they're like, Oh, well, it's easier for you to do Instagram because you have a quote unquote sexy product. It's something that appeals to other people is, is clothing. But, you know, I've, I'm starting a uh, cleaning service. I can't really utilize Instagram in the way that you can. And I used to believe that. In fact, for my dad's company, it's, it's office records management. So it's offsite record storage, shredding, scanning, the least sexy thing in the world. I was about to say, that sounds super sexy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd always tell them, you know, what if you got an Instagram? What if you got a Twitter, this, that? And they're like, well, you know, it's not like we're going to be posting pictures about storing boxes full of paper all day long. And one of my friends, um, who actually I met because he found me on Instagram. He came by one day and he bought a couple of shirts. He's a commercial real estate agent here in Nashville and his personal Instagram and another Instagram, he has grown to 20 to 40,000 uh, followers plus and it's in commercial real estate. And he made it more of a lifestyle uh, for mm. his personal one. Um, he posts about everywhere he goes during the day, um, motivational tips. Uh, he's done a phenomenal job in building his brand as a person and not just as being a real estate agent. And and nowadays that's what it's kind of, it's become really difficult, especially people in Nashville, how many financial planners, how many bankers, how many yep. real estate agents. So you have to differentiate yourself somehow from everybody else. And, uh, that was something that for his Instagram, um, you know, he's again, done a phenomenal job in building a brand for yourself. And, and that's similarly, that's what I wanted to do, um, with my Instagram, uh, is to become kind of a, a one-stop shop for guys in terms of, and I'm still working on this, uh, different blogs about what shoes I have in my closet. Because a lot of people ask me, where do you buy your shoes? Where do you, things that I don't sell, um, other than suits and sport coach shirts and, uh, tuxedos, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, where do you, where do you buy this? Where do you buy no show socks? Where do you buy your undershirts? Um, and so that's the type of resource I wanted to be to people is that they can go to my website. They can go to my Instagram. Um, they can, you know, kind of get ideas of different, because a lot of them will come in and say, you posted this picture with this green jacket. I want something like that. Um, you were wearing a, this color shirt and this color tie. I want to, you know, I can't really put that together myself. So if you could help me out with that. And, you know, that's what I've loved through Instagram is, is how many guys actually come in and will pull up pictures of not other people's Instagrams, but mine, yeah. um, which is really rewarding. But uh, Instagram has is, is definitely been my biggest tool um, for growing my brand and, and kind of the awareness. And people say, oh, it's the cheapest form of marketing. It's not cheap. And when I said earlier, monetary and replacement of time, I mean, it takes a lot of time for me to build my Instagram and I yeah. could be making money during that time. And I've thought about outsourcing it, but maybe one day I will, but I always want to be in charge of what gets posted. The, you know, you want creative control. Exactly. Um, somebody else can make schedules, but you know, for me, um, you know, I've enjoyed it. It's a, it's a fun part of my day that I, you know, for about an hour a day, I spend making my next post or working on blogs, that type of thing. Uh, which again, it goes back to, this is my passion. I don't care that I have to work on a Saturday. Um, it's, it's fun what I do and I, I enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and let's let's segue a little bit because I think your story is fascinating, and I think you know obviously 
it, it just transcends so many different um, areas of life. But, you know, what you're really good at is clothing. So let, let's think about, you know, your average 25 to 35 year old dude. Okay. Mm-hmm. The times that they need to dress up nice weddings, uh, you know, job interviews, work in general. Let's talk about some of the practical things that we can apply from just your knowledge base to these young men when it comes to, to a sense of style and clothing. What are some of the things that you're seeing in the marketplace? What are you seeing that, you know, guys are afraid of wearing or afraid of trying? You know, what, what are some tips and pointers that you would get from a purely just aesthetic standpoint to present yourself in the best way possible? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um separating yourself in industries that are not necessarily oversaturated, but you just, you know, a lot of them, yep. uh, your realtors, bankers, um, you know, the business casual has kind of come into play uh, pretty prominently here in Nashville um, where guys are just wearing either slacks or chinos and a button down shirt or a polo. Yep. Um, Very common. And when I was working for my dad, if I, if I wasn't client facing, uh, that's pretty much what I'd be in. Um, if I wasn't going to have to go see anybody outside of the, the office, that's what I'd wear. And for me, what I'm seeing uh, primarily, because most of my sales come from guys that are coming in to get suits for events, um, weddings, just that go-to suit. Uh, and then probably I'd say a little bit smaller percentage uh, come in for, because they choose to, they choose to wear suits every day. Yep. They might not see a client uh, during the day, but they will still have a jacket on the back of their door in case, you know, they might. Um those are the clients that I not enjoy more, but they do it because they want to, yeah. not because they have to. Uh, but one of the things I'm seeing uh, more prominently now, uh, jeans and exactly, which nobody can see this right now, but exactly what I'm wearing today is jeans and a sport coat. Yeah. Um, what I've, the take that I've kind of approached with my style is that, you know, I'm wearing a lot now suits with casual uh, tennis shoes. Um which my favorite brand and pretty much for all shoes is Colhan. You know, they have great casual tennis shoes that it's great, especially for me because I'm on my feet, you know, 12 plus hours a day and, you know, dress shoes. I love them, but only a certain amount can be so comfortable to wear all throughout the day. Yeah. You really got to get into that full $500 range to yeah really make them comfortable and then wear them in and you know yeah. that, but a lot of what I'm seeing is, is the casual, the casual, what I call, casual dress shoe um, is where you can dress it up, wear it with a suit. And then also chinos. Um, that's something that I started selling that sell a lot of um, chinos and jeans um, because you can wear them dressed up and you can wear them a lot more casually. Uh, but then that and sport coats, I, I pitch sport coats probably the most, but I sell more suits. Um, but guys that you can be a little bit more bold than a sport coat. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas if you wear it for the whole suit, it's kind of like a statement. Um, but lately I've been selling a lot more sport coats. Um, but for the men's everyday fashion, you know, a lot of the guys too are wanting to date night with their wife, their girlfriend, their fiance, whoever it is. Um, just having a, a go-to uh, sport coat, you know, in a neutral shade of some type of blue or gray, maybe with a small pattern uh, that they can just wear on the weekend. Um, you know, it's, that was one of the things that I wanted to instill with my Instagram is, is to make people want to, wear suits and sport coats more often. Um, I'd say close to a hundred percent of the guys that come in that are getting that go-to suit in their closet. They'll tell me I only wear it four times a year. Uh, if that it's only for weddings and regretfully, uh, funerals. 
Um, but you know, I just, I never wear suits. I, I avoid at all costs to wear a suit. And one, I kind of think to myself, that's, you know, pretty rude to tell me that because this is the industry that I, you know, I'm trying to make money in <laughs> is that you hate wearing what I'm about to sell you. It's like going to a teacher and saying, I hate learning. Exactly. Uh, and it's one thing to go to your CPA and say, I hate taxes, but you know, for me, it's like, well, that's kind of the whole point of my business. Um, but it never fails that when they put on the suit, when it comes in, and they kind of turn around and look at me and say, okay, uh, this fits actually really well and nothing like I've ever had. Makes them feel good. Exactly. And I think that's the number one thing that guys are afraid of in wearing suits because they've never had anything that fit them. They bought it off the rack. They avoid wearing it because it doesn't fit well. Yeah. And it's, it's always, it's like I get a personal win uh, if they call me back and say, hey, I, uh, I want to get another suit. You know, I really like this one. I love the fit of it. And I've noticed myself wearing suits more often uh, because I'm choosing to. Yep. Um, and that's, that's what I, I really think is that guys have never purchased anything because they never had anything that actually fit them. Yeah. Well, and I've come across a lot of guys who are, they, they just want everything to be so incredibly comfortable to where even if they try something before it's been tailored, if it does, if it isn't just incredibly comfortable, they're not going to do it. They're not going to wear it. And, and they put comfort above all else you know, what advice would you give them there from a tailoring standpoint? Because a lot of folks don't even know they're supposed to get things tailored. Even if you get it off the rack, not everybody can afford a custom made suit. Sometimes you have to start off going to Dillard's or Joseph or wherever, but what would you tell guys to look for when it comes to tailoring standpoint? Um, Well, and one of the things I have a lot of clients that they have two different sizing for pants. One is what I call event pants. And the other one is everyday work pants. The event pants are cut a little bit more trim. Um, they look a lot better in terms of a silhouette. And then the work pants are a little bit baggy or something they're going to be sitting at their desk all day long. Yeah. And I had probably, you know, a large majority of my, my everyday business clients that they would have those two different sizings. And I hated how they'd have to buy two different pants for two different events per se. But uh, a lot of the mills, the fabric that I carry, they started uh, coming out with this technology with stretch in the fabric. Um, so now I'm able to kind of provide that slimmer, uh, silhouette, that trimmer look, um, with having a little bit of give to it. So it's the best of both worlds, but in terms of guys that might be buying something off the rack or, you know, even if they're looking at a custom, um, there, there are many aspects that go into, like people always ask, what's the first thing you see on somebody else that, um, not that you're judging, but that you're, you you look for to see if it's well-fitting. Um, for me, the first thing I always see is, is shoulders, um, mm. is the width of the shoulders because guys will always buy a jacket that, you know, when, if it's a 44 regular, that actually has to do with your chest. Yeah. Um, has nothing to do with your shoulders. And so if it fits your chest, then it's probably gonna be too big in your, your shoulders. Um, and then from there it is sleeve length of the jacket. Um, if they're showing any cuff of their shirt, if the sleeve comes down to their thumb break, um, that's, that's another thing that I always tell guys, you need to shorten it up a little bit. Yep. Um, and then from there it's, it's the silhouette, what I call the hourglass is in your mid waist. Um, it's kind of that, if you get that silhouette hourglass look, um, as another prominent one. And then overall in pants is just width. Um, yep. if you know, the bottom of the, the break of the cuff, if it's, uh, or the bottom of the pant, if it's, you know, too wide around your shoe, um, as I tell guys, even when I was buying from Joseph A. Bank and I had a $200 suit and I had it tailored, which I probably spent $350 on the alterations to make it fit me and 
even then it still didn't fit as well, but I could still be the best dressed person in a room. Um, tailoring really does matter. And, you know, quality comes with how much you're going to be wearing it. Guys that come in that are only going to be wearing this a few times a year, I'm, you know, I can pitch them quality, but they're really not going to run through that suit uh, as often as if you're wearing it every single day. So, you know, the fit, you can look like you're wearing a really expensive suit for something that's not as, not as much. But um, if you are, you know, buying off the rack, just kind of crunch the numbers on it. Something to wear. I mean, I couldn't afford a custom suit when I first got out of college. Um, but I quickly realized that I'd rather have uh, fewer suits with more quality that fit me better than to have more suits that I was really never going to wear a few of them uh, and, you know, wear them out too quickly. Um, but I'll, they're getting a suit tailored goes a long way. I'll just put it that way. Well, I can just speak in the business world. Whenever I see somebody, whenever I see a guy whose jacket is too big, whose pants are too baggy, who, I, who hasn't put in the effort to make that suit his own, as bad as this sounds, I'm immediately judging them. And, and I wish we didn't live in a world like that, but we do. It's, it's a superficial world that, you know, and talking about networking events, um, that was one of the ways that I separated myself, even though the industry that I used to be in was completely different. And there, it wasn't a, you know, a lot of people in that industry that were going to these networking events, but still I had to kind of stick out to yeah. have people remember me. So it was the way that I dressed. Um, that's what I tell guys nowadays is that they're in banking or whatever it is. And they come in and pick out their suit and they're like, well, it's a conservative, uh, workplace. And, you know, my boss just wears the gray suit and the blue suit and it's solid, solid shirt. They don't want to strike a tie. Yeah. They don't want to offend anybody. And that, that offends me on its own is that when did, <laughs> when did dressing up and, and having a patterned suit or a patterned sport coat and a tie and every a pocket square, when did that start offending people? Um, it's a, it's offensive to me what you just said about guys that don't care about how they dress. And, yeah. um, you know, you have the Mark Zuckerberg's of the world that people are like, Oh, he just wears jeans and a t-shirt every day. Well, all right, well, you're not Mark Zuckerberg. So, uh, that's a very rare breed in terms of what he's been able to accomplish. And the fact that he does wear just jeans and a t-shirt, yeah. um, or to Steve jobs or, yeah, exactly. And, but I've, I've always told people is I don't try to mold whatever it is that I'm selling them. I don't try to make it like me unless they say, I want what you're wearing. I want what your style is, is I tell them what makes you most comfortable. Yeah. You know, when I first started working for my dad, it was required suit and a tie uh, every single day, regardless if you're going to see a client or not. And I started out working in the winter time in January. And so I didn't really care because it was cold outside wearing a suit and a tie. didn't really bother me. And then once it started getting warmer and I'd be walking downtown, going from appointment to appointment, uh, sweating profusely, I walked in and told my dad, I said, I, I can't wear a suit and a tie when it's this hot outside. I've got to, you know, lighten it up uh, in a different way, but I'm not comfortable when I walk in and I'm sweating. And then I realized that my comfort, you know, people ask, what do you wear every day? Tomorrow I could be wearing a three-piece suit and a tie. Today I'm jeans and a sport coat. Um, every day is different for me. It's all about when I wake up and sometimes caters to whoever I'm meeting with. If somebody's looking for a three-piece suit, I might wear a three-piece suit because if I can model it, you know, it's custom clothing. I don't have a, uh, uh, a lookbook or anything that has every single style that I carry. Yeah. Uh, it's just more show them by example of what I'm wearing. Um, but I just, I wear whatever makes me comfortable. I don't, I don't wear it for anybody else. Uh, when I go to events or if I go to networking, anything, I don't, I don't put on clothes to impress other people. I do it because I enjoy putting together an outfit whether it be a, a suit and tie or jeans and a sport coat. Do you get a specific complaint from significant others when they come in with their boyfriends or their 
husbands or fiancés or whatever. And I don't know how often the women come along, but is there something in particular that you've heard women complain uh, across the board when it comes to how their men dress? Yeah, and it's funny you say that because I'd say 70% of my appointments have a female companion that accompanies them. Um, and that just goes to say that either in which, and my Instagram followers is, I think mainly female, 40, no, 45% female, 55% oh, wow. male. Okay. Um, which I was surprised to, to believe because it's, this is a male product. I mean, I can sell female suits and blouses, but I just don't specialize in it. Um, but it, it never fails that when they come, it's like, I realize, all right, whether he, it's not that he doesn't care about fashion. It's more so that she's upset with whatever he's got. Um, and she wants to change that. And it really, it all goes to fit, um, yeah. colors that doesn't matter. It is 100% fit. She said, I want him. To, and I think it's more so that not that they're embarrassed to be with him in public, but when it is for that wedding, uh, they go to a wedding and they see other guys dressed, uh, better and they realize that their stuff doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, and again, that's probably what I sell the most of is just those ones and twos of suits that they just want to have to, to go to weddings and something to wear that looks right. Uh, it looks like it fits well. Um, they're not as concerned with patterns or colors. You know, I, I sell a lot of gray and blue. Um, I own a lot of gray and blue. I don't ever fault people for that. It's it's the easiest thing to pair with just about everything in your closet. Um, but when when females attend the appointment, it is typically due to their wanting to stress the fact that they want it to fit well. And it never fails that they'll always say, I want him to look like he walked out of GQ, um, which you know, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that I have so many female followers because they are very influential. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely uh, persuading their significant other to do something about their fashion, um, which is nice. Well, and it's more about just them wanting to be presentable with their spouse. Right. Exactly. And that's just a common, common trait amongst couples in general, though, you know, she's putting a lot of effort into herself. You should put even if she's going easy on herself from the amount of effort she's putting in, it's a, it's a light day. It's probably 10 times more than the average guy's putting into, into themselves from an effort standpoint on, on the biggest day of their life. Yeah. And you'd be surprised the amount of weddings that I do. I've probably done north of 50 weddings this year. And just about all of them, the, the fiance comes in with them uh, to help pick out the colors. And um, I always say that it's my goal to make the groom better dressed than the bride. Ooh. And, okay. uh, Sometimes I've gotten some some stares, but I, I say it jokingly. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times the uh, the fiance will turn around and say, "No, I want him to look better than me." Yeah. I was like, "One, well, that's actually pretty cool." And then two, it's like, "All right, well, I've got some work to do." Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's nice because especially nowadays, social media, they're wanting to post photos. They want to post a photo with their uh, boyfriend, husband, fiance, whoever it is, and them just look like they're wearing a trash bag. And it, again, it goes back to we do live in somewhat of a superficial world and sometimes first impressions are the only impression you're going to get. And the easiest way to remember somebody by is appearance. Um, personality can certainly over or outweigh, uh, appearance, but, um, it's just a for sure thing that, you know, when you dress up that people will notice. And it, it is nice because the amount of compliments I get, I don't do it for the compliments, but it, it is nice to see that people do appreciate uh, somebody that dresses well, uh, and the amount of effort that they put into it. Um, which to me is just kind of an added bonus, but well, it just shows that you care because if you care enough about how you're presenting yourself from a clothing standpoint, you probably care also about how you're presenting yourself from a social standpoint, from a, from a character standpoint. It, it just shows that 
you aren't completely laissez-faire about life. Yeah, and I would say also that it's uh, I'm I pay attention. I'm very to detail. I mean, it's just for me. I'm all about the details, and whether that's in life, business, fashion, um, I pay attention close, close attention to details, and I would say that that's what stemmed either one stem from the other, from fashion or from you know it, it led into fashion, but. Uh, there's a lot you can tell about somebody just by the way that they dress. And for me, it's not that I take them more seriously. It's like, I, I deal with a lot of older gentlemen in business that, you know, they do wear the nineties style baggy jackets and pants and, and they're very successful businessmen. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of the way that their style has not evolved, but, um, for the younger generation, for the millennials, uh, and it also never fails that a lot of the older guys that I'll sell to will come in and, kind of look me up and down and say, I don't want to dress like that. Meaning they don't want things to be tight fitting. And I say, well, that's, you know, why it's custom. You have the option of the way you want things to fit, um, which is a whole other issue to get into. But yeah, well, you know, we're running up on time and I, I think this conversation has been fantastic. And a question I always like to ask at the very end is if you could go back to 18 year old, you, you know, you're about to go into your freshman year at Ole Miss, right? Is that what you want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're about to go into your freshman year, just graduated high school. You've got, you know, the next 10 years, knowing what you know about, you know, after you graduate from college, working for your dad, switching careers, driving Uber, building a business, what would you tell yourself at 18? Um, this actually stemmed recently, uh, the answer to this question. Um, I teach a class at Hillsborough High School on entrepreneurship. And uh, long story short, this class starts a company, raises capital, issues certificates of stock, um, even has a Shark Tank presentation where they pitch their idea to investors here in Nashville. And uh, they're, uh, it's through Junior Achievement in Middle Tennessee, but the final showcase, the company showcase that they have at the end of the year is held at uh, Belmont. And they have a, Belmont has an entrepreneurial program that's been growing over the years. And hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, I can't, if I could tell my 18-year-old my self, hey, don't go to Ole Miss, don't have fun partying, but go to Belmont and learn how to be an entrepreneur I probably would have laughed at myself now yeah, and I would not have done it. But, you know, I started the business. I had no earthly idea what I was doing. I could go to my dad. I could go to other leaders in Nashville and guys that have started companies and um, kind of pick their brains. But at the end of the day, it's not the same exact industry as you. And I really needed that foundation of knowing what I was doing. And I, I, I wish I would have taken – and at Ole Miss, I was a business management major. I thought that was pretty well-rounded. But – um, at the end of the day, it didn't really teach me enough uh, about what I was doing. I wish I would either majored in finance or, you know, Ole Miss didn't have, to my knowledge, an entrepreneurial program uh, or major at the time. But, and again, telling my 18-year-old self, my 18-year-old self thought I was going to be working for my dad's company for the rest of my life. So, again, probably wouldn't have believed me. But um, I would say I, I wouldn't change anything about my process, about driving Uber, about um, – the mistakes that I made, you know, I took every mistake and, and learned from it. I, I don't mind making new mistakes. I definitely mind uh, remaking mistakes, but um, everything a part of the process, you know, I, I'm where I'm at today. I could be doing better. I could be doing worse. Um, but I think most of the things that I did was the the right approach, whether it had been the wrong approach at the time, but still, you know, you have to take your licks and you have to grow. But I think having a better foundation, um, through education, you know, I, I hated school growing up, um, but learning to be an entrepreneur, I think would have been a little bit more interesting to me. And I, I would have spent a little bit more time on, um, 
So that's, that's about the only thing that I would have told myself at the time, uh, that, and just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Keep grinding. Yeah. So how can people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? What's a, a good potential customer for you? So Instagram is probably my, my biggest asset in terms of following. And that's uh, Richards underscore bespoke. It's R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S underscore B-E-S-P-O-K-E. My um, website, uh, richardsbespoke.com. Uh, I do have a showroom. Um, it's by appointment only. And a lot of people question why that is. And it's because I'm not always here. Um, I am the only one that works in the company, but you know, I, I probably about 90% of my appointments are at my showroom, uh, which is located in Wedgwood, Houston. But, uh, the other, uh, 10%, I'm, I'm going out and meeting with guys at their homes, their office, delivering stuff, uh, or just help running errands. Um, I yep. just locked the front door and I leave. I had a guy come by this morning that called me and said he was, he was waiting out front and I'm at the grocery store. It's 9am on some Monday morning. Um, but if you interested in, in purchasing a suit or want to know a little bit more about the information, uh, my email address is just Stephen S T E P H E N at richardsbespoke.com. Um, would love to, to have you come by the showroom and check out fabrics, get measured, that sort of thing. Yeah. Wedding. I mean, particularly weddings, you know, things like that, wedding parties mm-hmm. I mean, shoot funerals, like you mentioned, or anything in particular, but, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think this was a great conversation. I loved hearing, um, the grind of making it happen. And then the practical advice you gave from a clothing standpoint, I, uh, you know, I, I look forward to really listening to this again and, and absorbing it a little bit more, but to everybody listening, as always share this episode, you know, we're on every major podcast platform. You can imagine, uh, subscribe, send it to your friends. Uh, and if you got questions or you'd like to get in contact with us, millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com. And, uh, we look forward to talking to you guys soon.